Welcome to Abby and the Mustangs. This podcast connects Mustang lovers everywhere and sparks conversations in an effort to promote the adoptions of American Mustangs. I'm your host, Abby Condi. Okay, so welcome back to Abby and the Mustangs. I am here for a conversation today with J.P. Dial and his two um, assistant slash interns, um, Peyton and Elijah. And so we're going to just be kind of talking about the R3C program and just kind of Mustangs in general. So um, if one by one you guys want to kind of introduce yourselves, um, kind of just state um, what you do for a living or where you work, uh, where you live right now, um, just kind of introduce yourselves. They're all looking at me, so I guess I'll start. <laughs> uh, JP Dial, uh, I am actually the branch manager for the uh, R3C Mustang program. That's the uh, Sacramento Sheriff Office Wild Horse Program. And um, we also, I also have uh, JP Dial Horsemanship on the outside. And uh, Eli is my current assistant, and uh, Peyton is uh, my intern. I'll let them introduce themselves. I'm Elijah Cooper. I am a graduate from JP's program at the Sheriff's Ranch at Rio Consumers Correctional Center. And um, I live in Sacramento, California, and I currently work with him at 7M Ranch in Clements, California. And my name is Peyton Thomas. I'm interning for JP this summer. And I go to Cal Poly in San Obispo. I have one year left, so I'm just here for the summer. But I'm helping out at um, the 7M Ranch with Eli. And then hopefully when the paperwork goes through, I'll get to go to the um, Rio Consumnes and help out there to jail as well. Well, awesome. So how did the three of you guys all kind of connect? I'm guessing through the Mustang programs. Yeah, um, Eli actually rode for me. You don't want me saying? Yeah, Eli actually rode for me for a little over a year. Mm-hmm. For a little over a year in the program itself at the uh, Purchase Center, who was actually uh, inmate in the program. Wow, awesome. Well, not and, awesome that he was an inmate, but awesome that he went through the program. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? I think um, you never really rode a horse before you came to the program. And now he's my assistant. I have a real large business on the outside, and he also rides for a couple other trainers. Uh, so he's making a great living at this. And uh, you watching him ride, you wouldn't realize that, what, maybe 16 months ago, you never rode a horse? Yeah, about 16. Wow. Yeah, yeah it's pretty, uh, pretty cool to watch him, the transition he went through. Um, coming into the program when I first met him uh, to sitting here alongside me right now. It's been a, it's been a really, you know, I'm really proud of him. Yeah. What an amazing journey that, you know, you guys have um, been a part of. And um, I definitely want to dive into that a little bit later in our conversation and kind of talk about um, kind of the transition from, um, 
coming from being an inmate in the program and then how he transferred all of this, these things that he learns into now being your assistant and kind of how the impact the horses have on the inmates. I definitely, definitely would love to get um, some insight on that. Um, but uh, let's let's ask Peyton. So now, how did you guys get together with Peyton? Yeah, so I got a cup following. I'm part of the horse program there. And for the past year or so, I've been really interested in the inmate Mustang programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, not one in particular, but just kind of researching all over the country, the different programs they have, and really being intrigued by that. And so when I was figuring out what I wanted to do this summer, I started to think about, oh, that would be kind of interesting to intern for one of those programs. And so I think it was in March, I reached out to JP, um, and on Facebook, just asking if there was any possibility to enter at the jail. And at first, maybe because of COVID or whatever, it didn't look like I was going to be able to go to the jail. Mm-hmm. Um, come and help out at the his, um, horse training business and then learn more about the jail. But it looks like pretty soon when the paperwork goes through, I'm actually going to be able to go to for the remainder of the summer, which should be pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Well, really cool. Um, I definitely have been interested in like the prison programs and different writing program or not writing programs, but Mustang training programs um, that are kind of outside BLM. So I'm really excited to talk with you guys today. Um, so for a lot of listeners, they have probably never heard of R3C Mustang program or the Sacramento Sheriff's um, Office Horse Program. So can you guys kind of just explain to me what the program is? how it started and kind of what goes on within um i guess the 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 program how it works uh, the, the program uh, that wasn't there in the very beginning uh joe meisner was a trainer in the beginning uh, uh the program director amy dumas here in california approached the uh first sacramento sheriff's office a number of years ago about six years ago about starting a program similar to what you see in Carson City and, you know, Florence, Arizona, mm-hmm. a, you know, creating a program where we would take uh, Mustangs, unhandled Mustangs, and train them for the public in a, for adoption and using the uh, using the offenders in jail to, to accomplish this, just, just like the other programs. Now, we're the only county jail program. All the others are uh, state uh, prison programs, state uh, which is quite quite different because they're in longer sentences and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're the only county jail program in the country, and uh, it's been. I took over geez, September 2019, and it's been a really neat uh, journey for me to watch because you know you get these guys program and they're just you know they've never touched a horse. Uh, they come in, you know, they, their mentality is different. They talk different. You know, they, they, I don't know. You, you're going to explain more of this. You're going to have to step in and explain a little bit more of this. <laughs> Stepping on his toes because they, just their vocabulary is different. They, they have to handle themselves very different in the world they came from to the world of uh, training horses. You know, they got to be vulnerable, right? Whereas when they're inside of that jail or even street when they're, whatever they were doing before, they have to be a tough guy. Um, just, they have to go through tremendous transformation. It's a very surreal experience. I actually have the absolute best job in the world to watch this. Um, I, 
you know, I kind of mentor them to to a degree, but the horses do the work. Mm-hmm. Me. You know, you got two lost souls basically. The way I like to describe it, you got two lost souls in there in a round pen. These two have to learn to work with each other to save each other. Mm-hmm. Right. Wow. That's actually a really beautiful kind of analogy there. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I could totally see that. And I'll let Eli talk a little bit about that because, you know, you know I'm here. I'm just there tra- teaching the guys how to work with the horse, how to understand the body language, how to understand and work with horses safely as well as to do it correctly. And Eli can, tell, can explain more to you about the, what actually happens between he and the horse and how, the, how they do this. So I, I'm, I'm just an overseer of it. Eli can tell you the real deal. Yeah, so when I first heard about the horse group program at the Rio Pacific Correctional Center, I didn't really think about it too much. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go ride a horse. I've never ridden a horse before, and I didn't really comprehend on that they were actually wild, and it would be as hard as it was. But um, I've never touched a horse in my life until I got to the program. And um, at the same time, yeah, so it was very frustrating at first. It was I learned so much patience from it. I learned how to listen, how to take information from somebody else, how to tell somebody else, tell me what to do. All kinds of stuff happens. So the most thing, it, I mean, the most important part of everything to me was the patience that I've learned and how to be so calm around a different, a different species and animal and how to relate to them. So everything that I've learned from that program has helped me from what I'm doing today to what I'll be doing in the future to my expectations and my goals for myself and my family. Everything has changed for me since I've entered this program, and it's just amazing on what we do there. So, I think you, you used to tell me that there are guys inside the dorm inside the jail that irritate you and stuff like that before. But you yeah. learned the patience like, you learned out there. Yeah, You were more patient with them yeah. inside. Everything. You so have to, because I didn't want to lose my job at the horse ranch. <laughs> 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 but it, but, yeah, it, but it, did, it did help me a lot. Out, my patience and just to brush it off, because a lot of people in there are going through a lot. And I mean, I don't know everybody's case and understanding on what they're going through, but I mean, it, I know what I'm going through, and I know what I need to do to keep my head straight and go through what, whatever I need to do to get out of there and better my life through the program. So that's what I did, and now... I'm doing great now. You sure are. Yeah. Probably just good. Every day. I mean, you, you, you had a pretty tough journey even after yeah. you got out. Yeah. Probably um, the toughest I've ever had. Yeah. So, you know, I would say if this is, God upstairs has really challenged him since he's even gotten out. He can share that if he wants. But it's yeah. been a, you know, it's been a, it was a tough road in there. Yeah. So my sister passed away last month and um, before then she went brain dead and she was just going through so much with her diabetes and celiac disease and kidney failures. And I was in there for quite some time, about almost two and a half years. So it was um, not being able to see her before she, before she got sick and not healthy. It was really tough for me to get out and see her so unhappy and everything. So I went through a lot, but, um, do you think what you went through with the program helped with that? It did, for sure. I would have probably ran back to my old ways. or I mean, I don't like to say that, but it's reality. I've done it before, and it's just not. I think this program and having something to do when I get out and having a job and like goals and seeing my happy family 
like there for me to see what I'm doing. It really helped a lot. So. Wow. Well, I, I am so sorry to hear about your sister. Um, but it really is inspiring to hear your story and to hear that, you know, the Mustangs turned your life around and now you're um, trying to give back and, um, you know, put more time into them. And so what what are your goals from, from this point forward? So my goals from this point forward is to continue working with JP and hopefully start my own, um, I don't know how you would say it. My own, my own business, like JP does with horsemanship, and to teach people how to relate with their horses, build confidence, stuff like that. And I want to start my own clinics and actually go somewhere with it because it's just what I love to do now. So, so I haven't told you this, but basically, when you're off probation, I'm going to punt your butt to another state, a couple other oh, trainers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. send you off to go learn. Yeah, because you know, I, I can't wait. I, you know, my goal is 10 years from now to walk into a show or someplace and here's your, the people you're working with. Yeah. And there's your clientele to watch you working with the clientele, whether it's in California, Arizona, Nevada, wherever it may be. I, that's my goal is to see you having a business like I have. And so, yeah, I mean, that, 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 you're headed down, he's headed down the right path to do that. Right. And currently, you're actually training a Mustang for the Oklahoma Extreme Mustang Makeover, right? Right. His name is El Wapo. El Wapo. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, hopefully, we will get to meet. I also have um, a Mustang for the Oklahoma Extreme Mustang Makeover. Um, so, hopefully, in August, we will get to meet in person, and I can meet your Mustang, and you can meet mine, and, you know, whatever. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, it'd be, it's we really need to watch him. We just get out. Now he's going to go compete against the best of the best. He can hold his own. We also have another guy who was in the program with me. He's, we moved to Montana. He's also competing. So it's going to be fun to watch these two guys who rode for me in the correction center now competing in the Extreme Mustang Makeover. It's That's going to be really, really cool. Right. Yeah. That's So will you be there in Oklahoma, JP? Yeah, I am. Uh, I'll be hauling him and the horse over there. Awesome. And uh, we got a lot of work to do to get some things put together with this horse, but uh, he can do it. He's a he's a tame good rider. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I'm excited to meet you guys and and see you again, JP. We um, I met you a while ago, a couple years ago in uh, Norco for that uh, wild horse training challenge. Um, and you did awesome. I don't remember what horse you were riding. I almost want to say it was a sorrel gelding. Yeah, it sure was. It was uh, Cody. He unfortunately uh, recently passed away, but yeah, he, he won her place and everything. Yeah, yeah, that was a really, really amazing horse. And, and I want to extend my condolences to you as well. You've taken so many losses the, this last year, I feel like, just with your horses. Um, and that has to be really, really a hard thing to go through. Um, especially when it feels like it's one after the other, too. Yeah, thank you very much. I, I do really appreciate that. Yeah. yeah it was a tough loss this year for several horses of ours. It didn't make much sense, but... It's all in God's plan, and I feel like, you know, um, He only gives us so much, you know, that we can handle, and um, certain horses come into our lives for certain reasons, and that's why I love the Mustangs. I feel like they are just such a, more of like a spiritual being in a way. They tap into your life in a way that 
a domestic horse has never, you know, kind of impacted my life the way that the Mustangs have. And I feel like everybody that I talk to kind of has their own story with the Mustangs and can kind of agree with that. Um, so I, you know, if that offers any comfort, you know, what you're doing is absolutely amazing, you know, for the inmates, for the lives that you're impacting, for the horses that you guys are impacting. Um, this is just a really cool program. Now, this is kind of a weird question, but I, uh, I just am curious, what does R3C actually mean? A real Pesumas Correction Center. Oh, okay. Okay. That makes sense. No, but what you were talking about for Mustangs and the domestic horses, you, you know, you're, you're spot on. I, I have some very, have a few very, very, very nice Holly bred uh, quarter horses, but they don't have the bond that I do with my Mustang. You know, I have a really beautiful, really incredible new Mustang, new hero, mm-hmm. and he's got that. I, you know, him and Magic and a couple other of my Mustangs, my new one Amarilla. I mean, they they just have a bond with me that that the domestics don't seem to quite get. Uh, right. Only Mustang, the only people who own a Mustang or have had that bond with a Mustang can understand, I guess. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I mean, like I said, everyone who I've talked to, they all kind of have their own story. Um, but I'm curious as to what what is your horse training background, uh, JP specifically, um, and what got you into the Mustangs in the first place? Boy, do we have enough time? Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, yeah, I don't know if you know this. I grew up in South Florida. I didn't touch horses until about 2008. Oh, wow. So I was a corporate, I was actually a corporate executive. I was senior vice president of secondary market for Countrywide Home Loans. When that blew up in 2007, I can remember the day, I lost about $3 million. Oh, my um, gosh. I went over the course of about a year went from making ridiculous amounts of money to losing everything. And it was a Mustang named Ego that I ended up adopting that had been somewhat started, tried to, was somewhat attempted to start her. This real famous trainer down in uh, Texas attempted to start her, but he broke his ankle on her. Oh, uh, gosh. Her. Somehow I did it. I was able to train her. I remember Clint Anderson one day told me, because you're doing it right for the most part, but you just don't understand why you're doing it right. <laughs> that's, that's pretty funny. Um, that horse basically saved my life. There was a time I lived on the golf course, and I remember I would get up in the morning, I'd lay on the couch, and there's a big oak tree outside. I'm right on the golf course in my backyard. I would just stare at that, that tree all day, and then when it got dark, I went back to bed. You know, that, that horse became my reason why. So that horse saved me. And so I've been ever since trying to repay, go back and save them. Uh, that's the kind of short version of it. Um, my training background time was pretty much that. Uh, I just kind of was fumbling around trying to figure it out. Then I started going, and, you know, working with trainers, and then you know who's gonna who's gonna give a guy a horse to train who doesn't who's never trained horses? So I would go around to horse rescues. Say, hey, I'll help you make your horses uh, rideable so they get adopted. They really didn't have to pay me much of anything. A couple hundred bucks and something ridiculous. <laughs> and I would just so I could get horses to practice on it. Mm-hmm. And then I just kept doing that. And then Clint uh, uh, one day told me how he how he got started. And I said, ride, ride a couple days a week with one of the guys he started with. 
But um, he, I basically took what savings I still had left, passed up my dog, sold basically everything I owned, and started going around the country working for trainers. Now, mostly I was working for rainy cow horse guys, mm-hmm. uh, a, mounting, a mounted shooter, shooting trainer, which I might have learned from the most from, a guy named Kurt Moore. I might have learned the most as far as soft hands and gentleness. And I just went around and to the point where there was a time where I was sleeping in the back of my truck, the dog was in the front of the and I was working for some of the best reigning cow horse trainers in the country learning how to train horses. I learned probably more of what not to do, mm-hmm. what to do. And as you can imagine, you know, you, I know you, you, you train horses. You're a little on the younger side. And it don't mean that bad, but, <laughs> but you know, there's, you know, training horses is not a, an easy lifestyle. You know, there's lots of ups and downs, and lots of lost relationships. Everyone doesn't understand it's a lifestyle. That thing is a hobby or a job, and it's not mm-hmm. lifestyle. And so, I remember time after time, you know, falling to my knees and having to rebuild. And every time it got a little bit easier, maybe, but not always. And you know, I'm kind of giving you a short version of all this, but uh, I can remember on. It was actually on July 3rd, 2019, when I was having one of those back on my knees going through hell again. And I was actually, and I used to say I was having a come to Jesus meeting. Um, I literally was standing in front of my bar and cussing God out, bitching at him. I'm like, I'm trying to save your horse. I'm doing all this. What do you want? What do you want? And I was yelling, throwing my fists at the sky, cussing and yelling at him like, you won't believe uh, either I didn't know die the next day or what, but um, he didn't shoot me dead. The next day, I actually got the phone call for this uh, the take over R three C program on July fourth of all days. Wow, that's so amazing. That pretty, pretty back. Well, I guess he finally said, "Okay, I've challenged this guy enough." <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it was, but you know, it, it was uh, still makes my hair stand on the back of my neck. But um. Yeah, and now, you know, my, my passion is teaching people, working with people, whether it be in the public or now I get I get to do what I love to do every day. I get to teach guys who've never touched a horse, someone like Eli, how to work with a, an untouched horse of all horses in the world. Mm-hmm. Not a 15-year-old broken trail horse off a dude string. Uh, we're going <laughs> to... A Mustang, just like I did. We're not taking the easy route. We're going to start with the hard ones. And I get to teach these guys how to do this, and I get to watch their lives change. And I'm not kidding. Like I said earlier, right? I have the absolute best job in the world. Yeah, well, I mean, you sound like the perfect guy for the job as well. And so, um, what what would you say like your big your big picture goals would be for the R three C program? Well, what I really would like to do is I'm trying to create a uh, we're trying to work hard to create a nonprofit so we can raise money, create better infrastructure there, and create more awareness. One of the things I was kind of shocked about when I took over the program is a lack of knowledge about the program. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd like to build the program up bigger, not necessarily in, in the number of offenders I have in the program or the number of horses we have in the program, but uh, just more getting it out there, the knowledge about it, because I would like to see other counties 
around the country build up you know sheriff departments create programs like these that are so impactful to other people's lives um i have no desire to go anywhere i'm committed to this program i just want to build it build better infrastructure and and get it exposed more to the public that we can do this in more places mm-hmm. and so what kind of events have you guys put on do you have adoption events for the horses um what like if someone was interested in going to see um the horses that you guys have have available or learn more like where where could they go yeah we have a we do have a website i'm gonna uh, to the BLM, California. Um, we also, we do adoptions, though. Um, we're not doing in, in-person adoptions right now. That's going to start again after the first of the year, we're hoping. Our next adoption is September 23rd, and it is a, a Zoom adoption. We started those during COVID. And I have to admit, you know, I love doing the in-person adoptions. It's kind of like a big horse show. We do an obstacle course, and the guys do a lot. It's really good for the community, and I love it. We are going to continue doing those here in the future. But I was very shocked at the how well the Zoom adoptions did for us because we would have people. So it's basically a Zoom. It's a meeting. We're, we're showing the horses. It's uh, this Amy Dumas and myself. She's the state director, uh, program director for, uh, for the Bureau of Land Management. And it's kind of like the... Uh, Amy B, kind of an immature radio show as we're putting this auction on on a Zoom. <laughs> all our, you know, the proof bidders are on the uh, on the Zoom meeting as well as the public watching. And we go through and we talk about the horses and we adopt them out. And it's, but it's really neat. And I, I would not believe it would work, but we get more adopters by doing these Zoom meetings. And we're getting them, in, you know, from Washington, Oregon, Nevada, Arizona, and Texas. I'm trying to remember people who've recently bid on horses. Whereas when we do the in-person meet, we might only have ten to fourteen uh, bidders. We're having thirty-plus bidders on these Zoom and meet, Zoom uh, adoptions. So we're probably going to be continuing at least two, if not three, Zoom adoptions a year, one in-person one. Wow, uh, that's awesome. You know, and we did do the online corral for a while. We did do that one time. Mm-hmm. But um, there were some logistical issues with that. So like a, you, when we talk about cell authority horses, if a horse is cell authority but it comes through my program, we won't let it go out of cell authority. We revert it back to adopt. It has to go through the adoption process. It has to be adoptable. Okay. In the event that something goes wrong, financial problems with the people, you know, life changes, whatever it may be, because I've had this very situations happen we want them to be able to return the horse to us so we can make sure that horse is adopted out correctly and that horse is just being passed around right and that actually is um very nice to hear and uh especially when you have the um other programs like the adoption incentive program where there really isn't as much accountability with the horses and where they end up i have three horses right now so, without stepping on politics here, um, I have three horses in my program that have come through that program. And they were abandoned in various situations. And, and, and short, 
I don't know the best way to describe it is that pure lane management kind of goes and repossesses them. Mm-hmm. And depending on the horse, quite often they'll, uh, I usually get the phone call. They come to my program first and I work with them to see what, which state they're in, what's going on with them. And several of them we have adopted out to the public and doing very well. Um, that program right now, yeah, you said that I'm not a big fan of it. Right. And, and no worries about, you know, stepping on politics. I'm totally, uh, this is like a open space here. I love getting into it. Um, but yeah, I mean the, the AIP I do believe is definitely flawed and I've kind of shared my opinion, you know, on Facebook about it and kind of talked about that. And so it's, it's interesting that you, that you bring it up, um, because I haven't really heard many other people kind of give their input on the program. And I think that that there do there does need to be modifications, a way to hold adopters accountable. Um, I mean, they sign a contract, and just the fact that the contract seems to be null after a year kind of seems like it just kind of defeats the purpose, in my opinion. Um, and so, uh, my my thought process on it is that I think that if BLM were to repossess a horse and they trace it back to whoever adopted the horse, I don't see why um, that adopter is then not blacklisted along with, um, you know, maybe similar last names or family members if they attempt to adopt. um, I think there needs to be maybe some background checks or someone who is paying attention to what is going on within the program because uh, a lot of people are taking advantage of it. um, And I've, I've seen some good people, you know, use the program to their advantage too and you know buy a round pen and and build a a facility for their horse and that's great but um where we're seeing the problem is is a lot of these horses ending up in kill pens and you know it's not specific to the mustangs you know every breed ends up in a kill pen but then you have all of these different outside voices where you have these sanctuaries these rescues quote-unquote um saying that the blm is shipping the horses to slaughter and then you have just it's just clouding the whole program and it's clouding the entire uh you know organization of we're trying to get these horses out um but we have people trying to keep them out on the range and then we have more people um just bashing blm and it's really just not going anywhere um it's to two point i think the program is now keep now keep in mind as late listeners know i i'm employed by the sacramento sheriff's office However, I have a strong working relationship and plot. I do not work directly for the Bureau of Land Management, but the Bureau of Land Management pays my salary through the Sacramento Sheriff's Office in our agreement. Mm-hmm. That, therefore, that's why I do not compete in an extreme Mustang makeovers anymore because of the relationship. So I just need to make sure that's said. Uh, I think the incentive program started out with good intentions, um, but I think people took a, found the loophole to take advantage I, uh, I do think it needs to be be corrected uh, drastically, if not uh, stop. Uh, again, I'm not trying. I, I, I'm not speaking for, for the Bureau of Land Management. I can tell you the Bureau of Land Management does not send horses to slaughter. Mm-hmm. All the activists saying they do, they need to start and shut up. Right. Um, they, they just do not. I work, I work very closely with the facilities here in California. They're a great group of people that care tremendously about these horses. And it does bother me when people do start saying and bashing them and stuff like that. But um, 
because these are the people I work with on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I, I think the program was started with good intentions, but people took advantage of it. And I think they just, we need to make changes to it. I would like, I, I wish more would be put in. But, you know, I started to say more put into the trainer center programs, this program, but I've seen, I've had issues with that in my own personal business where I'm getting many horses that come through the TIP program that people shouldn't, these people doing the TIP program need to stop because they don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen that a lot as well. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I, um, I, I uh, totally understand what you're saying. So for all the listeners, um, JP does not speak on behalf of BLM. Um, he obviously is employed by the R3C um, Sacramento Sheriff's Office. So like he said, um, but yeah, I, uh, I'm a tip trainer currently right now. And so I know that in our contract, like, uh, we're, it's kind of the same same thing of we don't really speak on behalf of BLM, even though they kind of, they we get paid through MHF, through them type of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are a lot of flaws in the different programs, but I think the main thing to remember for what people seem to not want to remember is that um, the boots on the ground, the guys that are in the pens um, actually taking care of the horses, they care, I think they probably care the most about the horses and um it saddens me to see uh just really disgusting things being said on the internet um being said by these uh somewhat reputable rescues and sanctuaries um, because those are real people. Um, My dad was actually the chief BLM ranger here in Yuma, Arizona, where we live. And so it just kind of, it it kind of hits a different chord with me because I think, okay, they're saying all these things about the BLM employees. I know that my dad is not a bad person. And I know that these guys that are working with horses are not bad people either. Um, It's just, you know, like you said, politics and it, it really is frustrating. Such a frustrating yeah. fight. The guys I deal with, Doug and, and Grant, these guys, you know, even over in Nevada, I mean, these these guys are just, they're wonderful. They care about those horses more than the people that are sitting in their houses not understanding what's going on out there. Bitching. Those, those people, need to, they don't understand what's going on. and these, They don't care about the horses nearly as much as these guys do. Mm-hmm. Right now we're in a big we're in a we're in a pretty bad situation. We're gonna there's gonna be some emergency roundups because of the drought. Mm-hmm. It's like you want to die out there. Yeah. Or try to save them. You know we can save them by putting them in programs like ours, putting them in the tip program, putting them in the adoption type you know situations. We can't save them when there's no water out there on the range right now. It's 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 we're getting ready to hit some emergency evacuations here very very soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's pretty bad. Um, that that needs to people just you know what are these activists want? Just watch them die out there. And, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, <clears throat> most versatile horse in the world, and you're gonna let it dry. I mean, dehydrate out there? No, I I, I, I say not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Mother Nature is extremely cruel. Way more cruel than. Um, rounding rounding up horses and putting them in pens where they get uh vet vet care they get free vet care they get free hay they get free water they have a safe place to stay with you know other horses they're not lonely 
Um, I I love when someone says that they rescued a Mustang, um, and I'm like, well, where'd you rescue it from? Oh, the BLM pens. Okay, you really didn't rescue the Mustang. That Mustang was just fine getting fed with other horses and you know <laughs> the horses that go to long term holding. Um, I I just think that people really don't know what long term holding actually oh. is. I mean, it's, it's like paradise. Yeah, it's absolutely heaven. I, I have uh, one of our clients, remember Tony? You know, Tony Steele. So we have uh, one of our clients recently who uh, we were training a, a horse for. He has a place in Utah, a large ranch, Tony Steelman. Yeah. So he has a large ranch out in Utah. They have, I mean, like 12,000 acres, and they have uh, 800 BLM long term home horses out there running around and just having the time of their life and more food than they want to do with it's absolute heaven the long-term holdings in some extent is not a bad thing i quite often in situations i'm i'd rather a horse go to long-term holding than than it rot in somebody's backyard they might take care of it but they're not going to ride it it's going to sit in a 20 by 12 foot pen at best if 20 by 20 is preferred but you know that's not the case mm-hmm. it's from some backyard i'd rather that thing sit out there on this beautiful grass and just be a horse and yeah. they're, they're i've taken from my program uh, so my clientele excuse me our clientele at the r3c we're consumers and even heck if we look at my personal business the, the clientele that end up getting a mustang is typically a 55 year old woman <laughs> <laughs> I, and think about this and this is gonna make sense what i'm gonna come around and say here but if somebody who had horses when they're younger they got married, they had a family, life got in the way, so they kind of fell out of the horses. Now the kids are gone, moved out of the house, or maybe out of college or whatnot, they got a little more disposable income, so they want to get a horse again. Now they don't go and pick the, you know, the domestic horse, they want the romance of the West. Mm-hmm. They want a metal plow, the most versatile horses, they're incredible, and they want a Mustang. And so that is our clientele. So I get horses sometimes, and I'm like, there is no way in the world that a 55-year-old woman is ever going to be able to handle this horse. I spent two years training this horse. I'd be the only one in the world can handle it. So I have no problem uh, taking one of out, of out of our program and converse with uh, facilities like Litchfield or Ridgecrest. And they'll, when they're bringing me horses, we'll send some back. And I know this horse is going to go spend the rest of her life on big open pastures. Right. right? Or at Tony's place in Utah, or wherever it may be. Uh, Alan Day wrote you know, the book Horse Lover. He's right there in Tucson, where you were. He and I used to go speak about this all the time when I was living in Tucson mm-hmm. uh, about this program. You know, Long term holding is not a bad thing. People need to get out of their brains that it is. It's a pretty darn wonderful thing. Right. And so if I don't think a horse is going to fit my program, I have no problems with letting that horse spend the rest of his life on a pasture. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I'm glad that you uh, were able to clarify those things and, you know, how it uh, 
refers to your program because, uh, man, like this is kind of the whole point of my podcast is to just put this information out there so that, um, you know, you know, the, your average Joe Schmo is going to know, okay, well, long-term holding is not a bad idea. It's not a bad thing. It's not cruel. It sounds, it kind of sounds a little funny when you hear long-term holding. Okay. Long-term. Yeah. That's the rest of their lives out on a grass pasture, getting fat, running around with their mates and, um, you know, so, so yeah, um, I'm glad that we were able to clarify that. Now, I had another question regarding um, who you adopted out to. Do your horses from the program, do they ever um, go into, like, mounted patrols or... Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. I have right now about 30 orders between... So, currently, I'm doing horses right now for Anaheim Police Department, uh, San Joaquin Sheriff Office, um, uh, Arizona Border Patrol... I'm doing a bunch for Arizona Border Patrol. I'm doing a bunch for Texas Border Patrol. Uh, Arizona, Texas will be up next. I got U.S. Forestry. We're actually skipping an adoption, a public adoption right now, so I can get 10 horses. Well, I think it's been like nine horses out for law enforcement. Uh, I've, my, some of my background is law enforcement horses. And with all this stuff, I don't think that has anything to do with it, really. I don't know why I said that. All the stuff that happened last year, in our country, it's all the riots and stuff. Mm-hmm. I have seen major upbeat and uh, requests from law enforcement agencies for horses. I think we're, I think our, I think we're riding around just over thirty horses um, that we're looking at getting out for law enforcement. We're we're putting an adoption together September twenty third for the public, just so we can get a public one in. Then we'll probably go back and do another law enforcement only so you try to get more horses out for law enforcement uh, that is you know some of my uh, closest friends that i've made are guys who've got law enforcement horses from us we have uh the two we have two blm agents special agents who've recently this past you know about a year or so ago got horses from our programs that was the first two horses that the bureau of land management got for the BLM agent, where they actually had to adopt them themselves. Mm-hmm. And they go out and they look for illegal grows and stuff. Yeah. And the stories these guys tell me, they ride right up on a grow. And they'll sit there, they'll take a, they'll, they'll smile, at it, they'll be waving at each other, and they'll snap, pitch her, little pin drop, and come back later to the DEA. <laughs> it, it is funny, because they can't sneak up on them in a, a, a Can-Am. They brought, they brought their Can-Am to me at the Say, hey, you guys want to use it to desensitize the horses? We can't use it out there. It's it's great, but law yeah, law enforcement is a really big thing right now. Um, there was another law. I can't remember which county contacted me today. I got another one contacting me for horses. It's, it's a really big deal. I love doing the law enforcement horses because not only are they out there serving our public, but they're they're also ambassadors, mm-hmm. right? You know, you're never going to be at a park or at a function. Like we had a Sac County Sheriff had a function last week, and they had some amount of horses there. And there were all these kids there, and that might have been that kid's first time they ever touched a horse, right? Yeah. Mustang. And they got to depend on Mustang. And that, 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 that moment might have changed their lives. So, so to me, I love doing the Mounted Patrol, you know, the the – Elio horses. I just love it because I'm sending ambassadors out that are going to really promote the Mustangs. 
Yeah, and that that is so exciting for for even me to hear. Um, my both of my parents actually they met riding in the Border Patrol Mounted Horse Patrol in San Diego, um, and so ever since, so I have like a, a special appreciation, you know, for law enforcement and stuff. So I just think that it is really awesome that you are training these Mustangs for um, you know different law enforcement agencies, and um, that they're you know going out and they're going to be working working animals you know that's that's really really cool and it's really exciting that they are mustangs um do the yeah. mustangs for the law enforcement agencies do they go through a different type of training um as uh, the typical ones do not as much we we consider that so um typically whether so we have considered that and we very well might do something next year but basically we're still just getting them started mm-hmm. so they're just green broke. Now, I, I do throw a little bit more onto them, flags, and we throw more obstacles at them maybe a little bit. Uh, the difference is law enforcement basically gets to come in and pick horses first. We pick three horses. So, so let's say some an agent is speaking to someone from, let's say, Anaheim. He comes, he picks three horses out. One of the three we're hoping is going to work out. Mm-hmm. they got to be able to do a little bit more than you're just your, your trail horse, right? Oh, yeah. Now, and then, you know, we do have, and Eli just brought up, right next to our ranch is uh, not only the shooting range, where everyone shoots all day long with ricochets, as well as we have the Explosive Ordnance Division right next to our ranch, and the helicopter pad, and then where they're doing all the helicopters and airplanes. So we, we desensitize these horses pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so typically, we're at this point. We're still just getting them started. Um, they're going to need to go off a little bit more training. Now, I would say Arizona Border Patrol has a great program. The way they do it, they'll pick up the horses for them. You know, we'll have four months on them. So they're riding. They're 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 good horses. Uh, and then down there in Wilcox, Arizona has a training program. They'll go through another eight months of training. Oh, cool! That's really cool. That's that they, they and they have two trainers and. That worked for them full time because right now I think they have just over 100 horses. I need 100. No, they have 120 horses. I need to retire 20, and I need up to 132. Wow. So, yeah. So, well, let's think about what's all going on down there. So, yeah, they need a lot of horses, and so and the same's going on over in uh, Texas. But you know, we have talked about possibly doing more, a little longer program. Um, it's not in our agreement, so we're we're been having meetings about that with the BLM, how to handle that. Mm-hmm. So that's not out of the question. It's, it, it is in the back of our minds, and we are actively talking about that. But as of right now, they're trained like the public adoption horses, maybe a little bit, just a little bit more. Um, quite often, they have different requirements. Most horses have to be between 15 hands and 15-2. They don't want them too big, but they got to be big enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, most want geldings, but not all. Some agencies are fine with mares. Most do want geldings. So, you know, we are picking horses a little bit differently for, for the law enforcement. Yeah. Well, that's really, really neat. Um, I, I kind of want to shift the focus of the conversation a little bit to um, 
kind of more training specific questions. Um, so like for the average horse person who really hasn't had much experience with a Mustang, um, picking a Mustang out seems to be um, kind of a, a tricky situation because you really don't know what you're going to get. It's a completely wild horse, totally blank slate. Um, so for each of you, I'm sure you each have your different um, set of standards for a horse that you would pick out. So um, I would love to hear individually um, between the three of you, when say you go to a holding pen, there's a pen of a hundred horses. How are you going to pick out your Mustang? I'm, I'm going to let these guys talk first because mine is going to kind of catch you off guard. How I did it, my new way. But um, so, so this is Eli, by the way. So my first Mustang that I picked out from the Wild Horse Corral is actually the Susanville Corrals out there in um, Litchfield. Um, I had help from JP and one of the BLM agents, and we sort of looked for their movements, their eyes, see how calm their eyes are, how they are dominant or less dominant in their herd that they're in, um, just stuff like that, um, mainly just how calm they are and how they get along with other horses, and I think that's the biggest focus that I kind of look at from my experience, but I'm sure there's a lot more to it, but that's what helped me out pick out a wild horse yeah okay um this is Peyton. um for me i so i'm taking a tip horse right now for the las vegas tip challenge and for that one they just sent us pictures of so you didn't go and pick live you they sent pictures of the available horses um via email and then um, we would we would choose one based on how early you signed up, and then on the pickup date, we would go pick up the horse that we had. So all I had were pictures, uh, and that picture had a caption with the year and a, a little description of what they thought their personality was like, um, which I guess is kind of hard to tell. But um, so I'll obviously look at them confirmationally. Um, and then for me, I kind of went off a little bit of what they described as their personality, which I don't know how much time they had to see that. Um, but I want a horse that has some life in him, in him or her. So they described this mare that I got, this filly, um, as sassy and spunky, which I think a lot of people <laughs> may be intimidated by. Like, oh, no, I want one that's more um, tameable, I guess, or not um super wild but i kind of saw on the flip side is i can if i get her on my side i can utilize that um to create life and energy and um but like let's go to work so i kind of like something that has a little life in them because um, if we if we become a team then i we can utilize that really well Right. And I actually love that, um, that you were looking more for like uh, spunky, sassy, uh, just because I think especially with mares, I, I personal, my personal preference is mares. I think they're a lot smarter than geldings um, in kind of a different way. Um, and so when you have one with a lot of energies, that, that's probably going to turn out to be a really nice horse. Um, and I figured I'd mention too, I guess I'll be meeting you at some point because I also picked up for the Las Vegas tip challenge. Um, so that'll be really cool to get to meet you as well yeah super cool also i am a mayor fan as well yeah <laughs> you're what <laughs> a mayor fan oh right yeah i have i have one gilding of seven mares <laughs> <laughs> okay 
the way I pick horses is going to kind of throw you for a loop for half a second. So we were talking at the beginning of uh, my horse that won the double down and everything in Norco. Mm-hmm. He died. And, you know, I picked that. So he had great confirmation and all. And I could go up and I could pick a horse off confirmation. And Payne was talking a moment ago about personality and the temperament of the horse and whatnot. But it's really hard to get a really good read on that temperament in those facilities. You can, if you sit there long enough to study, you'll, you'll, you probably can get pretty close, but it's still hard. So Cody, the horse that passed away that, that I won the double down in a Norco on, he, um, he was the main horse we used to train the offenders in our 3C program, right? He was the horse, if I needed to teach somebody how to do a side pass, he'd go grab Cody. He knew how to do everything. If I needed to so I do leg yield, two track, you name it, flying lead change. You could do it all. That's Eli learned how to do everything on it. He was a test horse for the for doing various tests that these guys have to go through in their six levels of horsemanship. So I need a special horse, right? Mm-hmm. I got confirmation. I go out there to Litchfield, drive up there six hours each way, come back, work with the horse, and two weeks later, I'm not. He's not the right one, or she's not the right one. Whatever. But guess what I did? I used a tip program. Think really? Yeah, think about it. The tip trainer, whether they're good or not, hopefully most of them are good, because I, well, I went with someone who I really like. You guys, when I was a tip trainer, and you're a tip trainer, think about it. you're working with the horse. You know what that horse's personality is like. You know that horse's temperament. Mm-hmm. But what we did is I actually had one of my deputies put out a, a one of the tip training pages not saying it was me, put out there what we were looking for. She was looking for for a friend, and we were watching the various tip trainers, who most of them I knew, come in with what they had and send me videos, and then I went and walked at several horses. But you guys, so the tip program, I'd much rather see someone get a horse from the tip program than out of the corrals, because they know what they're, to some degree, you, at least you know your personality, mm-hmm. right? You know your temperament. And if there's some tip trainers I recommend not, but there are several tip trainers I love when people get the horses from, and then they send to us for our outside training business to finish. I love it. Um, but yeah, I went through the tip program. Uh, when I told Amy Dumas, you know, the program director of the BLM, I said, hey, you know, and I called her, hey, I'm getting this horse. She thought, she, I texted her actually, she called me half a second later and said, what are you nuts? What are you doing? And I'm, <laughs> if I think about it, I need a certain horse. I need a temperament. I'm looking for, I can pick confirmation all day long. Yeah. If I really want the temperament that horse is, but that person has that horse is, look at the tip program. So yeah. the rest of me, think about it. It's great. I, I'm a big fan of the tip program. Yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, a lot of perks of the TIP program are, you know, a lot of things that you outlined. And even the cost is the same as if you were going to adopt from the pens, except I think it's easier because if the horse is gentle enough and far enough along in the training as they should be, um, then, you know, you don't have to have those uh, specific requirements that BLM requires for a completely unhandled horse as well. So... I ended up with a really, really, really great horse and, uh, that our son named Hero. I mean, he's an incredible horse, and he, he will fit the bill. He will be the main horse that we use to teach everyone on. And so it really worked. Um, so I am a big fan of the, the, the TIP program and people going through the TIP program. 
as compared to just pulling a horse out of the corral. They've never done a horse. You know, there's nothing wrong. That tip program is wonderful. Love it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so kind of going along with that um, for more of like these beginner adopters or um, people who are just getting into Mustangs, um, what would your guys's be like? What would you what would be your piece of advice um, for new adopters with their Mustang? Like once they get their horse, you know, now what type of thing? Uh, actually, Eli and I are doing a clinic in Holy Pain. If you're having a split, we're doing a, Eli and I are doing a clinic in uh september on that out here up in marysville it, the title of it is i just adopted a mustang or tip slash tip horse now what that's exactly <laughs> the clinic is. oh my gosh that's so funny well perfect well there there we go there's my answer go to a jp dial and uh eli um or peyton i'm sorry i don't remember who you said but uh, go to their clinic <laughs> yeah we're, we're gonna work teach people how to work with the horse how to understand the horse build you know, everything's built on uh, trust, respect, and leadership. We're going to teach everyone how to do that. We're we're pretty darn soft. We don't cowboy anything. I don't even know how to lay down a horse. I never, and I hope I never know how to lay down a horse. You know, we uh, we do things really soft and work with the people and to, to, to teach them and understand what they what they've got themselves into. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, but um, that's, and we're hoping to get. We're hoping to do one for tip trainers to come to learn too, so they can produce a better uh, tip horse. Oh yeah, that is. I definitely feel like that is a need for sure, um, because I feel like a lot of these people have trained maybe one Mustang, and then they get into the tip program and they want to start training horses for other people, and that can become a dangerous situation very quickly if um, they are not educated uh, properly. So uh, that that's great. I love that. Yeah, I, I tell people all the time, you know, how we train how we train a Mustang will work for a quarter horse and everything, but how you train a quarter horse isn't gonna work for a Mustang. We gotta go a few steps deeper. Right. Yeah, totally. And, and it's uh it's, it's very what we do is very different. We're we're much in the bond you know, building the strong bonds and stuff and getting into their mind is more in um sort of relating to them and kind of, um, you know, just kind of, I don't know how to explain it. Um, I have no idea how to explain it. It's just more getting engaging with their minds and let them know all body language and stuff like that. And just a lot of it has to do with that. You got to get more into their minds with Mustangs, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, one of my favorite sayings um, from a trainer friend of mine is, I think he said, um, if you want to move a horse's feet, you can move a horse's feet all you want, but when you really reach a horse is when you get into their minds or when you uh, reach their minds, something like that. So, yeah, that's it's totally true. Um, and the Mustangs, they have, they have different instincts than the domestic horse, and I think that's what makes them so different, and I think that's what... Um, is such a good advantage about gentling them and how we get such a strong bond with them because we're kind of their portal into this new world and we're kind of their safety, um, you know, navigating, you know, out of the wild into domestication. And I feel like you guys probably draw a lot of parallels from that with the inmate program. Um, you know, these guys coming in and they're turning their life around and it's kind of like navigating a new world. So um, that's that's really, really cool. And so is that kind of the training that 
you guys you're you're teaching the inmates um, is like this gentle. Can you go into more detail about the kind of um, training um, the inmates learn how to train the Mustangs? Yeah, I'm actually I've been talking so much. I'm gonna actually let Eli talk about that since he got to experience it firsthand. Yeah, so the process that I went through when I got there first working with JD, um, it started from step one. I mean, you got to learn how to halter the horse. You got to learn how to treat the horse. How to and uh, not to interrupt, but you're you're they're working on a trained horse at the beginning. Yeah, right. And, and, uh, wow. We're working with one of the probably the lesson horses out there, or one of the ones that's been out there for a while and know what they're doing. So when they're suited up for a dog. Yeah. So we, we start with step one and with all the help from all the inmates and everybody kind of works together as a group and teaches new. It's, it's always exciting when we get a new inmate come in and we got to teach them and then we all kind of work as a team to get these horses going. So like I said, we start we start at first, like step one and then we go to step two, which would be learn how to pick up their feet, leading, how to walk them through a gate, just all these little little details that mean so much on how to treat the horse. And then we move on to learning how to ride and how to properly saddle the horse and get on, how to properly um, turn the horse. How, just all this simple little stuff that means so much helped me out so much getting through the program and learning all this stuff about them. So, and then... Once we hit what level four or level five, a little four, yeah. level four, it's um. Then we get a wild horse in our um, ground pen for one of us, you know, whoever it is. We get our own horse, and then we kind of practice the approach and retreat and pressure and release with a domesticated or a trained horse, and then we kind of put all that together with a wild one, and then we always have somebody watching us and make sure we're doing it right and guide us through it, and we start from there and we. Just, step by step it happens and uh, it's a great feeling to to um, be able to train a horse by yourself and have it grow that bond with them it changes you in some way it's crazy and to what he's talking about too when he gets that wild horse we don't use drag lines we don't halter he's got to halter that horse in the round thing yeah. for the first time yeah we don't we don't halter him in a squeeze or anything we don't uh no drag lines he's got to feel that bond and he's got to be able to halter that horse yeah and how how is it um, usually watching like the first touches and the first halterings? I, I almost feel like that would be a really kind of emotional moment. Yeah, it, it is. I've, I've actually watched guys cry. Yeah, for me it was for sure. I, I was so happy that day. The first one, who was your first, first one? Hunter. Hunter. Yeah. Hunter was the first one I ever haltered. I, I almost cried. I called my mom when I got back in into our building, and I was like just so excited. It's a feeling that I never will forget. It's amazing. Right. Oh, that's awesome. That makes my heart warm, too, <laughs> just to think about, you know, um, you know, that situation for you. And um, I'm curious, Peyton, what your background with the Mustangs is, how you kind of got into it um, as well. I, I feel like I kind of skipped over that question with you. Um, yeah, so mine's pretty interesting as well. Um, growing up, I was very fascinated by horses, but I never could afford to be around them. Um, but then when I got to Cal Poly... I kind of just went all in and started taking classes, and there's a lot of opportunities to be very hands-on there with different riding classes and cold starting classes and halter breaking classes. And so I did all everything that I could. Um, and so, yeah, for the past year or so, I've been starting colts um, through the college program and then training some horses for clients around um, the Central Coast where, where um, I'm at. 
And then I've always just had a fascination with Mustangs. And I think it's because my approach to training horses, whether it's client horses that come in a variety of ages and breeds and sizes, or the cow poly horses that we train that are very highly bred performance horses, no matter what kind of horse I'm training, um, my approach is very psychologically based and, um, like we were talking about earlier, getting into their mind and like, what are they thinking? What are they trying to show me? Um, and really listening to the horse and what they have to say and what they're communicating to me. And so that kind of led me into a natural transition of, I want to start training Mustangs because of everything I've heard about them and how that's kind of the approach you have to take. So, um, I guess that was, um, maybe a little bit of an easier transition for me. And so, um, yeah, this Mustang I got for the Las Vegas Tip Town was actually my first Mustang. Oh, wow. Um, and what horse did you get? Describe it to me. Maybe I remember from the pictures. She is like 14 to a two-year-old filly. Um, she's a bay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, all right. Well, that was very descriptive. Very short tail. Yeah. Right. Well, I um I unfortunately was was that a Devil's Garden horse or did you get what what HMA was that horse from? Yeah, Devil's Garden. Neat. Yeah, I I did not get so lucky with my draw. I actually well I was I started out pretty lucky and I got my third pick, which was um a fourteen one hand two year old. She was a mare as well. Had a really pretty stripe down her face. She was uh was she a bay? I think she was a, like a blood bay. Um, anyways, I picked her up and we were pulling out of the Ridgecrest corrals and as we're driving out, I see this horse in my rear view mirror trying to jump over the center divider of my trailer, which I have never had a horse attempt to jump over that center divider. And so we're like, oh my gosh, this is not good. So we stop outside the gates. We go and take a look at her. She's just banging her head on the top of the trailer trying to jump over. We're like, okay, let's just leave so that she'll settle down. Anyways, this horse ended up concussing herself and we had to drive two hours all the way back to Ridgecrest um, to return her. And then I had to get a replacement and I got like a total opposite of what I wanted, which was a little yearling, all black with just a white star. So that's, and he's a gelding. So that's who I have now. Um, but hopefully me and him can I don't know pull something pull something out pretty good but it's funny that you say that he's got you beat oh no yeah. way <laughs> so yeah I got the mare that I wanted on our it was like a five hour drive back uh, from Litchfield and I think I'm maybe 15 minutes about maybe 15, I need my window open so I can hear and mm-hmm. if I hear this like I know she's good and not like dead you know so <laughs> Not too loud, so she's freaking out. So I was hearing good noises the whole way home. And then maybe 15 minutes before I got back, I didn't really hear noises anymore. I was like, yeah, I'm almost back. And then we open, or we get to the ranch, and we open the trailer door. I'm like, wow, she's coming out very calmly. Uh, Well, it's because she had reared in the trailer and put her um, left front over the center which isn't close to the ground it's not like she pawed she like had a rear and tore her like the back side of her cannon and got her checked ligament and so she's been in rehab for like three weeks and uh hopefully she'll be good to go by las vegas but oh my gosh so that's the horse that you currently have right now 
Yeah, so they asked me if I wanted to, they called me like a few days ago and asked if I wanted a replacement, and I said, no, I, I'm too attached already, so I think she'll recover. Oh. Yeah, she's, she's recovering really well. He happened to know somebody who had a squeeze shoot. Was it? So we could doctor her. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's awesome that you're you were able to um, doctor her up. I was super attached to mine too, and I was so heartbroken. Uh, I mean, I'll share this. I was I was a little teary eyed um, when I had to let her back out. Um, into the pen at Ridgecrest because her head was just, I mean, gushing blood. And um, what was, who was it? I think it was JJ who works over there. And he was like, yeah, I'm pulling her from the competition. And I'm like, no, like I loved that mare. She was so friendly um, and just absolutely beautiful. So, but you know what? Like, like I said earlier, you know, horses come into our lives for a reason. So this little guy might've just, you know, needed me to get him out and find him a home. So um, but man, I hope she, I hope she squares up for you pretty well by the time you get to Las Vegas and you guys can go kick some butt. Hopefully not my butt, but some butt. <laughs> All right. She's, uh, she's on track, so keep our fingers crossed. Right. Yeah. Good it's, stuff. You can put the trailer really well. <laughs> <laughs> Oh gosh. Um, so I guess I guess what we'll um, finally end with. I don't really have any other questions on my outline here, um, but I really appreciate you guys being here and answering my questions and and talking to me. Um, I'm wondering if you guys think. Um, I'm kind of thinking big picture here. So in in my mind, the solution there there really isn't a solution right now for this wild horse and burrow crisis. But um, my kind of idea of um, a way to kind of put horses, good horses, back out for people to buy is programs like R3C, where um, you know you have these people who come in and they have you know a certain amount of time to um, rehabilitate themselves and also put out some really good horses. I wish. That there were more colleges that had programs with the Mustangs. Um, I wish there were more high schools, rehabs. Um, I mean, just anything. Just people who will take the time to teach others how to put out good stock and um, kind of saturate the market, I guess, with rideable, trained um, Mustangs. Because, um, like we were discussing earlier, these completely wild horses that people get their hands on and then they don't know what to do with, um, that's not really putting a good name or a good face um for the mustang so i don't know what you guys's thoughts are on that um i mean the floor's kind of open i would love to see more programs like that that's kind of one of my my missions is to build more programs uh, around the country to do exactly that and then now to your point they don't have to be that's like through a, uh, a jail or a prison they could be through a college or even high school um, I think it would be good also in like drug rehab type programs. Mm-hmm. I think they would, I think I would like to see more of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. The, the, the success of, so one of the things we look at is called a recidivization rate. So when we look at people who, who are incarcerated and when they're released, typically 70% end up recommitting going back. Mm-hmm. The people in our program, it's only twenty four percent. Wow, that's a drastic difference. Yeah, yeah, um, and even more so. I mean, there's some other programs. You know, the guys have you know reentry type programs, but ours still has the lowest. We still have the, the largest impact. The horses 
have the largest impact in changing these guys' lives. And then all have to become horse trainers to for their lives to change. The skills that Eli was describing earlier, learning his patience and you know how to deal with things differently, that goes into everything you do in every type of profession. You know, I, a couple guys, one guy's out doing really well. He's a diesel mechanic on big rigs. He's doing really well. You know, another guy, he's a butcher. He's also training horses. He's doing the EMM. So they don't always have to be full and just horse trainers. It's life skills that these horses teach them. Mm-hmm. Right? So, but we need to have more programs like this. It's about having more awareness. Yeah. And like proper wild horse education, I, I'm i really wishing that there was more, you know, more people like me and you that are screaming from the rooftop, rooftops, hey, adopt a Mustang, and here's all the different steps and options that you can have, and, you know, they're, they're great horses, and, and so my, my fear is that, you know, more people are going to be getting these unhandled horses because there's, they're getting all of this publicity, but like I said, I just wish that we could saturate the market for them with good trained horses um and so one of my frustrations um and i'll kind of share this with the oklahoma or not with the oklahoma mustang makeover specifically but just with the makeovers in general um is just seeing all these really good trainers dropping out and keeping their horses and part of me is like okay i get it you know if you really have a connection with that horse or you really need them or you know whatever i i get it but at the same time the mission of these shows is not for you to find your next best friend it's so that we can get trained horses that have solid foundations out into the public so that people can safely own them ride them and you know love them um that's kind of off topic but <laughs> no no i'm with you on that um one of my mares happened to be the mustang magic i had to pull out because of the owner of the ranch came he died of his cancer so i didn't go to the show and i, I did end up keeping her but there's been several others I thought I really wish I would have kept it, but I adopted them out because they were ambassadors. And I, I, I do believe they need to go on. Um, that's the purpose of the EMM and, and all that. Um, so I'm with you on that. Yeah. Um, well, again, I want to thank you guys so much for taking the time to um, speak with me. And um, was there anything else you guys could think of that we wanted to mention before we kind of close yeah. out the conversation? Yeah, there's one thing I want to mention. So, like we were talking about, Eli is doing the uh, Extreme Mustang Makeover in Oklahoma. We do have a GoFundMe page we've created for him. He, as you can imagine, coming out coming out of the Very Consumer Correction Center, you don't have a lot of funds. So, we have created a GoFundMe to help get him to Oklahoma and support the horse along the way, all the stuff, the, the expenses he's incurring. So, we'd love for your listeners to, you know, Elijah Cooper is. Go find me, Elijah's journey to the extreme Mustang makeover, or you can find it. We'll post it on my uh, on my Facebook page tonight. We'll repost it. Okay, perfect. And I also have a, um, a forum for this podcast specifically. It's called Abby and the Mustangs Podcast Discussion Forum. So if you want to go ahead and join that group and you can share the GoFundMe um, on that page, please feel free to do that. One hundred percent. So. Uh, so that, you know, people can see it and, and they can, you know, help get them there. Because, yeah, it is a very costly journey, especially you guys are in California right now. So you're making a trip halfway across the country. And uh, that's going to cost some money, especially with fuel prices the way that they are right now. So Yeah. 
$300 more than it was last year. <laughs> right. Um, okay. Well, um, thank you everybody for listening to this episode. Um, I hope that as always you take something away and that, um, you learned something new that you didn't know yesterday about the Mustangs and, um, R3C is a wonderful, wonderful program. You can find them on Facebook. I believe it's R3C Mustangs. Um, what is the page called? Yeah, it is. It's R3C Mustangs on Facebook. Perfect. So go like the page and uh, explore through it. Uh, see if, you know, any of the events interest you. There's They have a couple of clinics coming up, um, some adoption events. Um, so that's really exciting. Thank you so much, JP, Elijah, and Peyton. Um, you guys are awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, you guys have a wonderful rest of your evening. Thank you. Okay, bye. If you're interested in adopting a Mustang or Burrow or are looking for resources, please visit blm.gov programs and select the Wild Horse and Burrow column to learn more. If you are not in the position to adopt, please share this podcast with a friend and start a conversation. If you would like to donate to our Wild Horses and Burrows, please visit mustangheritagefoundation.org donate. Thanks for listening.